Welcome to Pod Sing Say, an Avatar The Last Airbender podcast, where every week we watch and discuss episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm your host, Jen, here with my co-hosts, Nicole, Steph, and Abby. Today, we're talking about Book 1, Chapter 8, The Winter Solstice, Part 2, Avatar Roku. From Wikipedia, Aang, Katara, and Sokka travel to a temple on an island in the Fire Nation so that Aang may receive Roku's message. The three bypass a blockade led by Zhao. Zuko pursues them through the blockade despite being banished from the Fire Nation. At the temple, they discover that the Fire Sages are no longer loyal to the Avatar, but to the Fire Lord, the leader of the Fire Nation. The Sages attack, but one proves to still be loyal to the Avatar and leads them to the Fire Temple Sanctuary. Aang manages to enter the sanctuary after narrowly escaping capture. Zhao arrives, intending to apprehend both Zuko and Aang. Avatar Roku appears to Aang and informs him about a comet that enhances the power of firebenders, which will return in just under a year and give the Fire Nation the power to finish the war with a brutal assault. Aang must master all four elements and defeat the Fire Lord before the return of the comet. Roku's spirit manifests inside of Aang's body, repelling Zhao's forces with a staggering display of bending that destroys the temple as Aang, Katara, Sokka, and Zuko escape. All right. So, to be honest, one of the only notes that I wrote down for this episode was separation of church and state. (laughs) 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 That was all I wrote. And then I wrote down the Shayu, the name of the firebending sage that was an ally to them. I noticed that was spelled a weird way in the credit. I just wrote like phonetically so I could say his name correctly. Because I was like, oh, yeah, how do I spell this? I looked at the credits and then I was like, what the hell is that? It's like S-H-Y-U. Is this another May My situation? I was like, why are you guys spelling things this way? Yeah, it's spelled Shu, but Shy-U. They literally wrote Shy S-H-Y and then added U at the end. I was like, that's I don't agree with this. So Western. (laughs) But like, I felt so bad for him because he was the only one doing his job. And of course, you know, he suffers the most in this episode because of that mm-hmm. and you know of course he does the right thing and it's just it's just one of those things where like these kinds of stories there are always martyrs and and victims and whatnot mm-hmm. and you know and it's obviously a tough decision that he did and it just it made me angry obviously when I wrote separation of church and state like my anger comes from this episode but also of course it comes from our current administration and whatnot sorry but you know of course part of it is watching this now with context that we have living as we are now as adults and whatnot. Mm. And it was just so frustrating because I'm sure that was something that, I don't know, this war has been going on for a hundred years. So it made me think about how, because it was happening so gradually over such a long period of time, it became so normalized. Mm -hmm. And this is probably one of those things where they had to pledge their loyalty. And maybe that didn't happen gradually, or maybe there was some resistance at first, but then it just became an absolute thing. And that was just like really upsetting because the Avatar is maybe the one universal thing that all of these groups, all of these nations have in common. And then to see it kind of get tainted or corrupted or whatever, Mm -hmm. it's just, it just made me sad. Mm. At least there was some karmic retribution kind Mm. of for the rest of the fire sages because they also were captured by Zhao at the end and probably sent to prison or whatever. And that's, you know, it's like, Technically, in the Fire Nation law, they didn't do anything wrong, but they did abandon their actual duties. So I kind of saw it as like, they kind of do deserve it because they betrayed the Avatar. And I think that's a good point, too. Like, that's a conversation that has been happening in our society and and historically of just because something is the, the law of the land doesn't mean it's morally right. 
And like those mm-hmm. two are not synonymous. And, uh, and mm-hmm. a lot of the times they're in opposition to each other, where it was the, the people who opposed the law were often the ones morally correct in a lot of the, the larger examples used throughout history, be it people who hid Jews during the Holocaust or, you know, people, you know, protesting against police where it's like, you know, you're protesting against this system that is supposed to be good and is supposed to be a certain way. And obviously people are not satisfied. Mm-hmm. So it's just like it hit close to home, not in like a personal way so much as just just like what I've observed even of just like all the debates happening right now again, with religion and how religious some people are and how that affects different things like women's health and school funding and everything, like this kind of stuff. And for me, it's such a clear cut thing, but obviously it isn't when you're a crazy dictator. So good times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it does a really good job of showing, you know, a young audience early on that you know, right and wrong isn't black and white. And I think that that's one of the crutches of growing up. And I think that's one of the shocking things once you leave the education system that the world isn't how you've learned it. So mm-hmm. you can survive if you continue doing the wrong thing as long as it protects yourself, but you can put yourself in a situation where you could be compromised if you're trying to do the, the right thing. So yeah, we do see that in elements of like Zuko's character development as well. But I think it's nice to see it in a group setting too, because I think it's important to see, you know, it's not just one person, but like collectively we're all acting this way. And mm-hmm. I think that that's an important factor because one character development, I think can speak a lot to your own self, but we can overcome that as a group too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was like the the first instance that we as viewers see in the show of Fire Nation citizens stating outright, like, I never wanted to serve the Fire Lord or like those enforced them to do what he wanted. Mm -hmm. So they were he was saying 100 years ago, the Fire Sages were supposed to be loyal to the Avatar and so enforced them. And then 100 years later, all the Fire Sages are just kind of loyal to the Fire Lord. He's like, except me. Yeah, it's like they logicked it out in their own heads and like did what they did to survive. And then this guy's just like, no, this isn't right. Like I learned from my grandfather that this is how it was. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting, too, because I think there's like the counter argument to that is that there are situations where things change. And then, of course, the problem then is people latch on to how things used to be. And then you have the opposite issue. And again, that's, I think that's also like to Abby's point that like good and evil, you know, as you get older, you learn that it's, it's not a binary, it's a spectrum. And then also that somebody's definition of good is very different than yours. And it all Mm -hmm. depends on perspective and context and everything too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, this is like one of those episodes where it just had me like reeling off into existential thoughts about like my life, you know, or like, you know, the the current like society I live in and whatnot, more so even than like previous episodes. I do feel like that's something the show is very good at, at showing that the world is not black and white. There's no definitive good, no definitive bad. Even characters who are villains, you do get to see kind of like, well, I mostly think about Azula, where like she is a bad guy in this show, but you do kind of get to empathize with her also. Mm -hmm. And this episode especially is the first one that kind of shows not all firebenders are bad. Not all Fire Nation people are bad. Mm -hmm. Where like this guy, I guess, technically has the excuse quote unquote, that it is his job to serve the Avatar. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's his own morality that let him hold on to that versus just doing what now has become the Fire Sage's job, I guess, which is now to serve the Fire Lord over the Avatar. Mm -hmm. That's one of those things where, again, like hopping out of cartoon logic for a second, I'm just like, 
what is your day-to-day job? (laughs) You just live on this island. Like, what do you actually do? (laughs) Maybe I was kind of thinking that where I was like, oh, I guess they're kind of like scholars. Yeah. Because they have to be knowledgeable about the Avatar. That's their job. Their job is probably to maintain the temple and to be the foremost knowledgeable scholars on the Avatar. They probably know like the true story about everything and then it's also like how that information gets distilled and distributed to like Fire Nation citizens is also Mm. probably very different. And obviously I'm sure their job would have also have been different if the Avatar was actually around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like Aang's disappearance had a lot to do with. But like I was also sitting there like someone has to like ship food to them like grocery. I was just like overthinking it. I was like they just live on this island the middle of nowhere oh my god honestly yeah. they seemed to me like when the kids turned around and they were all just standing in the doorway like in that triangle formation we are the fire sages guardians of the temple of the avatar this is like a video game where all of a sudden there's a bunch of bad guys here that you have to fight now yeah well they do have families because the one guy he said it was his grandfather so it makes me think it's kind of like a family thing like hereditary you go into that business i know in japan there are examples of like temples get passed down through families Mm. i feel like there is a precedent for that where it is kind Mm. of like you do what your family did before you yeah i feel like even that again like there's the the scene when shayu is leading them down to the correct room and he's saying how all of the fire sages are people that have strong spiritual ability or like, you know, strong spirituality. I'm just like, how can you even say that if you know that the other ones are not acting in the true spirit of representing the avatar? So I'm just like, even then, I'm just like, your definition of spirituality, I don't think is the same. Because if anything, you'd be like, yeah, I still have it. But these guys lost their way. They're on this other path, because, you know, either out of fear, or, you know, maybe long enough time has passed that like, again, they truly believe it. Mm -hmm. Because again, of course, towards the end of the series, the Fire Lord, you know, he starts to push this narrative that he's even like beyond a normal human. Mm. So again, it's like, it sounds crazy. But that's one of those things where it's like you you hear about stories about these people rising to power. And you're just like, how could people not notice that stuff happened? Or even like in your own, even like on smaller situations, where it's like you hear stories about parents that had you know teenagers that did drugs or you know something happened to them and parents are like I don't understand how I missed the signs and it's like well if you don't know what you're looking for like you don't realize it's happening all around you kind of yeah. thing and I feel like that's like COVID-19 not for nothing in a nutshell too where it was just like half the people I feel like were okay we're not taking this seriously enough and the other half were like this is not real what is wrong with mm-hmm. you and then now like we're at where we're at yeah Oh man! Bring in all the real, real, all the real time references are in this episode. I know. <laughs> and then it's like the this is getting it, a lot I deeper than was, I thought. Yeah, that was all like in the second half. The first half was a lot more straightforward, like typical action because it was you know mm-hmm. Zuko and Team Avatar getting to the Fire Nation. What is it? Oh, that barricade or what are they calling it? a blockade? Yeah, that was all just straight up action. There was some insight as to like Zuko being banished and how Iroh, like, if you cross the water, I can't help you. So that that makes me curious yeah. about like the, the crew. We kind of touched on this a few episodes ago, but like the crew that Zuko's with, like, are they kind of there to watch mm-hmm. him? Like, how does Iroh fit into to that being at odds with his brother, who we did learn is yeah. the Fire Lord? So yeah. I was curious about that. And then Mm-hmm. Um, why does the fireballs need to smell? I was curious about that. I know that we all wrote that down. It's sort of unnecessarily stinky. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> I was like, sulfur? I don't know. I, I don't know anything about these fireballs. Oh, but Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was like, why do they smell? What yeah. is making them smelly? <laughs> Yeah, but I guess was it only Zuko's that smelled? Because then the other guy fired a bunch of cannons. They didn't react to the ones from Zhao's the blockade in the same manner. I feel like once it was established that it smelled, they like didn't have to keep animating it. Is how I honestly felt. Like I assumed that they all still smelled, and it's like okay, we've established a base level that these smell for whatever reason. They had to establish (laughs) that. Like yeah, I I feel like that's it. We're just like, but why? Some unnecessary information really don't need this. Yes. Like, we need the avatar extras to explain this. They didn't. <laughs> I disrespect. I felt bad too because when Iroh was saying that to Zuko, where he was just like, I can't help you if you do this, you're banished, you can't go there. I was just like, Oh, he's banished in the Fire Nation. And then he's a wanted man in the rest of the world. So it's like, they really just screwed him over. Literally, there is no safe space in the world for Zuko. Yeah. I feel like for him, if he didn't want to actually fight, and if he did want to live, like that would be something where it's like, how do I get to those abandoned air temples and just live there? If he was a pacifist or something. Yeah. Or just do kind of what they did in season two. Just like blend in in the Earth Kingdom. Yeah. I was like, oh, that sucks. Because Miko was like, oh, well, he's a war criminal. And I was like, well, Zuko technically isn't a war criminal. He himself isn't. Like, Iroh is, because Iroh actually did fight other countries. Zuko never actually saw combat. I mean, by association, yeah, he's like the heir to a dictatorship kind of thing. But he is an individual. Hadn't technically, I mean, of course, in his quest for the Avatar, he's wreaked havoc. But I was just like, oh, if there were Fire Nation refugees... Is that a thing? Because again, they did smuggle their way into Ba Sing Se. And, and also, I mean, Ba Sing Se, I think, is a unique case because they are scary mm-hmm. and they're in denial about stuff versus just went to a small village. And obviously, we do meet a couple characters that are from other nations that live in other nations and they keep it a secret, like the Bloodbender. I don't remember her name. Hmm. Hama. Hama. Yeah. But uh, I mean, since this is happening while he's still loyal to the Fire Nation, even though he's banished, I mean, there's Fire Nation colonies in the Earth Kingdom, maybe. I don't know. Mm. Obviously, he'd still have to face people being assholes there because... I feel like technically he wouldn't be allowed there either. Yeah. Because it's Fire Nation-owned territory. Hmm. Hmm. But he's allowed to be on his Fire Nation ship with his Fire Nation crew. Yeah, because that's what was given to him and it was like, get out and do that. Yeah, I think that was a pity gift. (laughs) Yeah, where I feel like if he's not allowed in the Fire Nation, Mm. I don't think that colonies, which are considered part of the Fire Nation, he would also not be allowed on that Mm. land. Mm. Where's Zhang Zhang living? He's just like by a river somewhere. Yeah. I mean, he lives by himself, though. That's part of it. Yeah, obviously, this is the episode where I decided to go off the deep end. So my bad. That's That's totally fine. fine. And I didn't even know it was my episode. Look at that. There you go. It was meant to be. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I was thinking a lot about Commander Zhao because he's like the season one bad guy, I guess. I still don't understand. Mm. It just seems so random to me, his presence. Yes, you're trying to capture the Avatar. I still don't really understand why you're trying to capture Zuko as well because it's established that he's banished, but I guess like a two for one deal. I don't know. Um, He just seems like this rando, honestly. To interrupt everybody. I feel like they've just been longtime enemies. <laughs> I guess so. Zhao just will go fair. out of his way to make Zuko's life harder every time he sees him. That's just part of his yeah. personality trait. Like <laughs> He just doesn't like the boy. 
It's crazy. Is he, like, jealous? Is he just like, I can never get promoted enough because... Jealous of what, though? Like, Zuko <laughs> is saying, not... It's, like, her- it's hereditary. <laughs> I'm, but I'm saying Zuko should have been... Azula is the younger sibling, right? Yeah. Yeah. But he's so been it's like banished Zuko- now. So no, she's I know, like- but, I'm, but I'm saying Zuko should have been, like, nepotism. Yeah, I like, mean, he, Zuko. That's what it is. <laughs> when Zuko started out his life, he was only like fourth in line to the throne, though. That's true. Yeah, but he was still in line. Yeah, <laughs> that's enough for some people to get mad. I know. I'm just saying. Like, why true. still be mad at him when he was like literally kicked out of the entire country? Because Zhao is an incredibly petty person. Oh uh, well, yeah, we've established that. That's yeah. literally it. He's just petty and he's mad. He cares about his rank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, because Zuko technically broke the law by re-entering the Fire Nation. Yeah. So then, if he captures oh, him and brings true. him to the Fire Lord, then that looks really good for him. That's yeah. true. Like, look, I, I captured your failure of a son. Yeah, and it's like for all we know, that could backfire. And then the Fire Lord is just like, "Why the fuck do you think I would want to see him? You should have like dropped him off on some <laughs> island in the middle of nowhere, so oh, I never had to see him, him again." It's yeah. like you literally brought him here. I don't want him here. That's the whole point of a banishment. Like, you know, like, he'd find a way to twist it, you know? Because they, they're all so fucking petty. <laughs> Yo, that's a me move, though. I would I would pull that shit. I'd be like, uh, there's a reason why I wanted this bitch out of my face. So why are you being here? Yeah. But that's what I mean. Like, the Fire Lord, him and Azula are the type that they, like, reverse psychology it. And they'd be like, oh, like, you think you're so clever and you're so smart. And you think you're doing this. But, like, fuck you. No, you're not. <laughs> if you really understood me this is what you do and like that's why the fire lord is everybody's abusive boyfriend not even kidding <laughs> literally he's a very abusive person like he manipulates people and that's why Azula's the way that she is too she's mm-hmm. a victim of that as well yep yes yes definitely Man. so commander joe and i don't think we mentioned this in the previous episode where he appeared but same voice mm. as lucius malfoy does anyone remember his yeah. name <laughs> i forgot his it's name an <laughs> Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, he um, was Captain Hook in the 2009, I think, 2009 Peter Pan. Not the crappy one that was more recent. <laughs> he was? Yeah, the good live action one when we were younger. <laughs> Wait, do you mean Hook or do you mean like no, actual no, 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 no. Peter Pan? Yeah, no, there was a live action Peter Pan when we were in high school or something. The I one with I've the thimble kiss it. thing? Yeah, that one was really cute. I really like that one. I'll have to check it out. There was one more recently where it's like they cast a white girl as an indigenous person because, of course, they did. <laughs> Not that one. The other one. I mean, I can't even say if that one is probably problematic, too. Who are we kidding? I remember that one being not awful. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Yes. One thing that I thought about, I think because I was thinking about just voice acting in general, was that one of Zuko's crew had an accent. He did. And I found that interesting. Like, why the specific crew? Like, Uncle Iroh has a slight accent as well but we have a british person yeah. putting on a northeastern american accent i'm just like yeah. i think about the decisions that are made when they select people to voice and why mm-hmm. is it up to interpretation where they give an instruction it was like a random tangent that i had thinking about this episode mm. why do we do things the way that they do to like shape the perception do i see the character that i'm voicing first and then i determine based on my own bias what they sound like or do i voice first and then they animate you know, like I was thinking mm. a lot about how they decide it because yeah. all of these nations are arguably Asian descent voiced by mm-hmm. various types of people 
Some have accents, some mm-hmm. ha- don't. Some are like their own voice and some are putting on an accent probably. So yeah, I was thinking a lot about just like the decisions that were made. Yeah. Well, I know the actual process, just to clarify that, um, for TV animation and, and, or at least for American TV animation and not like dubbed or anything like that, where you're producing it, you record the actors first and then they animate to the official Mm. uh, recording of the episode. So the animation is in response to what they hear first and foremost, but in terms of like the actual casting and stuff, they decide that ahead of time. And I'm sure some of it is conversations about if there's an accent or not. Yeah. yeah, I feel like this show is probably an interesting one for that, too, yeah. because it is a show where you have a show with entirely Asian characters. And I think most of the voice casts are probably white people. I think the only Asians in the principal cast are Dante Bosco, who's Zuko. Mm-hmm. He's Filipino-American. And then, um, like you said, Iroh, he's voiced by a famous old Japanese actor, Bako Iwamatsu, who's Oh, Japanese. yes. Right. That's true. I did look him up. Yeah. Because he passes away in the middle of the series. Mm-hmm. He passed away during season two. Yeah. Um, but like the main three kids are white actors. Toph, I think, is a white actor. Mm. I'm not sure about Suki, but like probably. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that is like an interesting conversation happening right now as well. Um, yeah. In terms of casting to characters, ethnicities and whatnot. And mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to comment on that. That is like a, an interesting thing that's happening now. Um, and of course, we know that like that became an actual issue with the live action adaptation of this film too so Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah i don't know about why did jason isaacs not use his normal voice kind of thing right because i think uh i mean this is my own personal bias but a british villain voice is cooler Mm. than an american villain (laughs) voice yeah but (laughs) it would be cool maybe they thought it was overused because american cartoons do do that a lot that's true (laughs) oh yeah i actually read a paper about that there is an argument especially in American cartoons that there's a a correlation between foreign accents and villainous characters. Mm. Kind of like, hey, I get like most people do it. They don't mean it in a bad way. That's what you're used to. And that's what you said. It sounds cooler. So people are like, yeah, I grew up with that kind of thing. But they were like, hey, try not to do that as much because we're accidentally kind of signaling a bad correlation there. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. I'm just going to mention real quick, I just looked it up. Uh, Suki's actress is actually also Filipino-American. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. Good job, Suki. Interesting. Yes. Jenny Kwan. Oh, damn. Okay. Wow. The more you know, guys. The more you know. Yeah, pleasantly surprised. Yeah. yeah. Zuko's uh, commoner crew for the Banished Prince. They just want him to fail, I think. Yeah. It does make me wonder if they gave him a crew of other people who were like, because, you know, he was banished. Or- so that Failure. means everybody else on that ship can't go back to the Fire Nation. Right. So are they also banished yeah. people? I feel like, why would you want to serve on a ship if you were banished, though? I don't know. It just seems like it's a punishment. So they're being yeah. punished for something. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were like, we could demote you. We can uh, dishonorably discharge you. You know what we can do? We can reassign you to be on Prince Zuko's ship. <laughs> mm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, I want to know about the recruiting process for Zuko's crew. Like, is it Maybe or is it like a also gave him thing? soldiers that were really uh, disrespectful of their um, commanders in the military or whatever? People who had a lot of attitude because you know maybe he'll piss them off enough because he's such an asshole, then they'll mutiny and kill mm-hmm. him. Who but knows? That's what I mean. It's like the guy who talked to him 
was like, hey, the engine is literally on fire. And Zuko was like such a jerk to him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I noticed it's that. Like, why would you put up with working for Zuko? Like, why would you put up with it unless you were forced to? Yeah, he was so determined to catch the Avatar. <laughs> yeah. Zuko's not an actual captain or leader or has had any actual military experience. I mean, he's 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to mm-hmm. be honest, for me, when I heard that moment that he spoke, I kind of couldn't help but think that he was probably one of the people from the, the South Korean crew that animates on the show. Because what happens a lot of the time is for those tiny little roles like that, like the one line, they'll grab someone who works at the company and they'll just like, hey, read this line. Mm. It, like if you look up the voice, it's probably like an animator or like a coordinator or something like that on the show. Mm. That's all. So that he had an accent was probably just like that person's actual voice. It sounded like someone putting on an accent. <laughs> it mm. did sound like someone putting on an accent to me. Yeah. A little bit. Um, yeah. I googled and on the Avatar wiki, it says that um, most of the crew had previously served under General Iroh. Mm. So I feel like that oh. kind of makes sense where they're following him. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a much nicer version so than I can got it. <laughs> all the power. Yeah. Technically. So they're putting up with this bastard because they respect the bastard's uncle. Yep. I'm reading and it says, The ship had a small crew compared to other Fire Navy ships. Zuko clearly was in command of the ship along with Iroh. Neither of them held any formal rank apart from Iroh being a high general in retirement, which he did not use. So there was literally no real ranking, I mm. guess. But yeah. just due to their, um, you know, their stripped titles, they held mm. the command. Yeah. And then probably... Lieutenant G was the one who kept the crew actually running and doing actual important stuff like fixing the ship and shit, right? Yeah. It makes more sense that that they would be loyal to Iroh and therefore actually do their jobs. <laughs> because cause Zuko is kind of a big jerk to them. Yeah. Not a very likable boss. And then speaking of voices, since we were just kind of sort of mm-hmm. on that, Shayu, he has to be somebody and the actor who played him He's been on a bunch of live action TV shows and movies and stuff, hmm. but his name is Michael Yama and he's an old Japanese American hmm. and he's been on a bunch of stuff, but it's like anytime there's an actual named character, I'm just like, who are you? Who's yeah. your guest actor? Yeah. Last episode was funny because with um, Hey Bye, the guy who was in charge of that town, he was the first character that we met that they didn't bother even giving him a name. Right. So I was just like, oh, you're probably not voiced by anybody famous because <laughs> they didn't name you. <laughs> but in here, they named the guy and they're like, shy you. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like voiced by an actor or something. <laughs> and again, that sounds mean. Like I'm not trying to put off the people who voice the non-named characters. But obviously the show has snuck in several really interesting voice guest stars and cameos and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We need to keep an eye out. Yeah. And then the only other note that I wrote down, aside from separation of church and state, was that Sokka's father invented bombs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's the only other thing I wrote. They're a family of inventors. Yeah. And... Oh my god. I like Sokka and Katara's little tag team of uh, the idea guys there, trying to figure out Mm -hmm. the door open problem. Where Sokka comes up with something, and he's like, oh man, I really thought I was onto something. And then Katara comes up with the rest of the plan. I was like, mm-hmm. you go, Water Tribe. <laughs> yes. I enjoyed that they did that, like, light bulb gag, but with mm. the lantern on the wall. <laughs> yeah. And then it actually paid off. They even yeah. did, like, the little, like, sound effect that ding. <laughs> that's, mm. Oh, that's, like, clever. Um, that was funny. 
Yeah. They both showed to be very smart in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, their plan was foiled by Zuko's untimely appearance. <laughs> because, of course. Of course. Well, he got thrown down the stairs. So. <laughs> Honestly, that was, like, very violent for Egg. He's just like... <laughs> He threw him down the stairs. He even used his airbending to like propel him. <laughs> it's gonna get more real, guys. <laughs> I've fallen downstairs before, and on top of that, to airbend someone so they fall even harder down the stairs. Oh my god. I bet you he didn't even hit a single stair on his way down. He probably just like flew until the next level down. You know what? That's fair. Maybe that's arguably more considerate. Yeah, I was just thinking. <laughs> the beginning of this episode they were still in Senlin village right because Aang was about to hop on Appa I found it funny when Sokka and Katara like Appa was right about to fly off and then they run in front of them I was like Appa could just fly over you you're not gonna stop Appa from flying I wrote that down too they're running over here like they can stop him because he's a plane on a runway he can just lift off (laughs) yeah just fly straight up. Exactly. Good thing Appa didn't want to leave without them. That's because he's Aang's animal guide, so he has the yes. sense. He was like, "Actually, yeah, I'm holding mm-hmm. your brain cell right now. <laughs> We're not leaving without Sokka and Katara because Appa says so." Mm-hmm. Oh man! And that misleading dialogue with Sokka and Katara—they're like, "We can't let you go unless you go with us." I'm just like, "Well, what are you?" <laughs> unnecessary <laughs> i get so mad at that stuff because the next line is always so predictable you're just like unless you take us with you and you're like shut the hell up also with the fire sages they're like oh no it looks like the avatar is inside how could it have gotten in and then they see momo and they're like we've been tricked I was like, this is too much for me i can't stand this <laughs> It's just necessary to be part of a story and I'll just get over it. I personally would never admit that I was duped. And I think that's probably where I was coming from. But they were screaming it out. (laughs) (laughs) So I would have just predicted another way. You just play it off. Yeah. (laughs) After the bombs went off and the door didn't open, like Shayu also was like, oh, it didn't work. (laughs) Obviously it didn't work. It's like, no shit, it didn't work. We can see it. We're standing here. Oh, Oh my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's coming right on the heels of us talking a few episodes ago about them not needing the dialogue to tell us that Zuko was torn between chasing the Avatar. Yeah, that was last episode. Yeah. Was that last episode? Shit. Yeah. (laughs) Just like, look at this subtle storytelling with no dialogue needed. And then this is just like, (laughs) plot point announced. I know. I literally was like, I like how they felt like they didn't need to pander to the audience and tell us what he was thinking. And then in this one, they're like, we were tricked. It didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they did that so that they could set up the next part with Katara being like, wait, we can still trick them. And, but it was just like, I feel like that was clear. Right. Because then obviously they would have just gone in if it was open. Right. Mm-hmm. So so even that, I'm just like, oh, like I don't even think that was needed to try to help set up the next moment that was going to happen. But, right. right. Oh, wow. I don't know. You know, even if is. they had just jumped straight to their like, oh, I don't understand. It, it looked like it should have worked. 
They were like, you're right. It does look like it should have worked. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That would be a good way to lead into the, and looking like it worked is a great thing we can do. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah, that's true. We don't need the three lines before that where they were like, oh no, how sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Say, like I'm kind of like, we didn't really get a lot of Sokka and Katara. Obviously, like there was the one moment where like, they were both like very clever and played off each other to help out. And of course, mm-hmm. the beginning, you know, they're like, you're not leaving without us. Or wait, you're not leaving. Dramatic pause. Without <laughs> yes. us. That's really... <laughs> And, like, at the end, the final, final shot of the episode was that really nice shot of Appa flying, mm-hmm. like, towards the moon. And they were kind of a bit more in silhouette, and then they kind of did, like, a group hug. And that was really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wrote that down because they had the Return to Safety music playing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this soundtrack. Yeah. And yeah, I like that. So they all went around to comfort yeah. him. I mean, in that way, sort of like at the beginning of the episode, they had the whole, you know, we're going with you. When he was like, this is why I didn't want you here. It's too dangerous. And they were like, well, that's why we're here, because it's dangerous and we're in this with you. Yeah. And then at the end, obviously, he's depressed because Avatar Roku just put a huge burden on his 12-year-old shoulders. I was just about to say, we didn't talk about Avatar Roku at all. (laughs) We were going to get there. I thought we were like wrapping up. I was like... I was just like, no, we still haven't talked about Roku. And like, yeah. We have a lot to talk about still, I feel like, with this episode. There's a lot that happened. A lot we find out. Mm-hmm. A lot of cool stuff we see. Like, this was Avatar Roku's first real appearance. Yeah. yeah. If we want to jump into the discussion about him now. We might as well. Yeah. Agree. I guess this is technically Aang's real call to action. Because mm. now he gets his whole quest fully spelled out to him. Yeah. yeah. Um, where before it was kind of more abstract. The goal was master waterbending, and now it's like, you have until the end of the summer to master three elements and defeat the Fire Lord, or else the whole world is going to burn. Which is so unreasonable. It really is. And I did the basic math. Well, if it's the winter solstice, and we're assuming that their year is the same as our year, Mm -hmm. that's only like nine months that he has. Not even a full year to do everything just kind of crazy especially because most avatars don't find out that they're the avatar until what they're 16 i think mm. is yeah. what's normal so he's even younger than they would be when you even first find out that you are this spiritual uh what does he call it the spiritual bridge bridge, bridge. yeah oh poor ang yeah you know he acknowledges that it's a big task but he still gives it to him He's like, yes, this often takes years of training and discipline and practice. And you have to do it in nine months. Good luck, yeah. child. <laughs> Man. Yeah, it is scary. Fun. It was so daunting when he first heard it from Boomy. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, now there's a timeline. Yeah. Right. Ugh. Uh, poor Aang. That's so <laughs> much. Yeah. I know. It is a lot of pressure. And you could really tell at the end of the episode that he was feeling it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sure there must be strain on his body from doing the whole Avatar state. Well, it wasn't even really Avatar state. It was like Avatar Roku literally used Aang's body as a channel to appear physically. And he wrecked everybody. Yeah. That was very cool. I forgot that happened. So I was like, holy crap. It's not even Aang just in Avatar state. It was like Roku Mm -hmm. there. 
Right. Yeah, when he showed up through the smoke, everybody was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Honestly, I had that, well, so how do you pronounce it, Stephanie? Schrodenfurter? Schrodenfurter. Schrodenfurter. Whatever. You know how to say it. I know you know how to say it. I had that because I was like, all these fucking fire sages that betrayed this person and now he's literally here. Just yeah. like, yeah, like, can your fucking fire lord do this? No, he cannot. Yeah. Mm. And he like, um helpfully burned the chains off yeah and then Zuko tripped and ran away (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's interesting that he freed Zuko as well it's his grandson yeah I know but you don't know that at this point I did I was like I did not know that it's fun to look into it wow oh yeah we just spoiled this for Abby (laughs) it's okay yeah to be fair Zuko doesn't know that yet either oh my god wow (laughs) yeah because when I saw that I was like oh maybe it's that and then part of it is also that he knows like he's not the one being the worst yes at the moment (laughs) fight for the worst he's tied up too might as well (laughs) free him Uh, oh man I kind of felt bad because Zuko also tried to be clever did he yeah, like in this episode where he was like, oh, I'll use the smoke screen. Oh, you're okay, you're right. <laughs> yeah, where I feel like both Sokka and Zuko had good ideas this episode, and then neither of them worked. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like I also got annoyed at both of them because I still felt like they both were like, oh, you should be smarter than this because I feel like Zuko asked why they let them go through the blockade so easily. And Uncle yeah. was just like, obviously, they're going to follow us. Come on. <laughs> I'm like, Zuko, you should know that. You've been out at sea with your uncle, with this brilliant military strategist, and you don't know something like that. And then with Sokka, I was angry at him because there was another moment where he was stretching and he was like, got to be ready to take on some firebenders. And I was like, shut up. Like, <laughs> where is this confidence? How is this confidence warranted? I liked that moment, though, because... Of course then- you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, just because... Katara's like, I was talking to Appa. And he's like, well, I was talking to Momo. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, speaking of Momo, there was a Mo moment where he caught a fish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the air. And I was, I was, I was honestly kind of disappointed because I thought there was going to be a payoff of them at a campfire eating. Again, I completely forgot how this episode goes in terms of small scenes leading up to the main plot. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, my gosh, they're totally going to be uh, having like a campfire and roasting the fish over some lava or something, and then it never showed up again, and I was just like, oh. <laughs> they might have eaten it later. I, I guess so. Uh, that's what I was thinking. They would have eaten it later, but then it would be way more sad and depressing because Avatar has the weight of the world on his shoulders, and, like, no one can say anything. <laughs> yes. Just, like, sadly eating fish. <laughs> yes. That one fish, they all have to split. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Because not for nothing, the pack that the previous town gave them was kind of smaller than I thought it would be. Honestly. Like, hey, they were rushing. They were like, get out of here right now. Yeah, for he sure. looked he did. I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, they didn't have a lot of time. I mean, to be, I don't blame him. <laughs> but also, you didn't have to be rude about it. He yeah. was intentionally oh. rushing them out so that Sokka didn't have time to be like, this is not enough. <laughs> we're we're going to be gone for a long time. <laughs> Of Sokka being like, wow, this is great for one person. (laughs) (laughs) Oh Oh my god. I'm looking at my notes, and since we're talking about the town, when Zuko and Uncle show back up, 
and Zuko throws the guy in the house and is like, tell me where the avatar is going or whatever he says. Did you notice that um, Uncle Iroh still doesn't have any clothes on in the background? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's still like half naked on top of the rhino. Oh my Wait. God. Wait, what? <laughs> Need to Because re-watch. he had been captured, right? He yeah. was in the hot spring. He got captured. He was naked through the entirety of last episode, more he or less. He had a loincloth on. Yeah. And then Zuko frees him. And then I guess Uncle had seen Fang and Aang. Right. That's the name of the dragon, right? Fang? Yeah. yeah. Yes. He had seen them flying. So I guess he knew that the Avatar must have been in the area. Yeah. And I guess that was the only town in the area. So they went there. But he was still naked. Oh, my God. I don't know. I noticed in the background. Okay, so Team Avatar takes off on Appa, and then it cuts to unnamed man exiting the back door. Zuko shows up being like, having trouble sleeping. Tell me where the Avatar is. I was like, what is the timeline of this happening? Zuko obviously saw Appa leave. I don't know. Yeah. I'm thinking about the timing of all this. Is this, this our they- cartoon moment? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I was like, you could have gone back to the boat to put clothes on. <laughs> My thought was that he probably figured they knew where they were headed so he could get that information. Oh, true. That yeah. makes sense. That makes sense. But it's still, that was something when he saw them flying away at some point. Like, there's a point in the episode where I was like, there's no way that Zuko can get back to his ship, get the ship backed out of whatever shoreline or dock or port, whatever they were in, and then catch up to the bison. Yeah. So for me, that's yeah. one of those things. They definitely take liberties with logistics because mm-hmm. you guys said, like, Appa can literally just float up and just leave at any point in time. <laughs> With him, you know, he can't go through land, he can't do certain things, or he can only go so far with his rhino, kimono, dragon, things, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Like, at the beginning, they were like, oh, Zuko's gaining on us fast. And I was like, are you saying that his ship is faster than Appa? Like, what? Yeah. I was wondering the same thing. I was like, since when does Zuko ship so fast? Mm. Cartoon. Now I'm, like, trying to think how how many miles per hour. Yeah, someone do the (laughs) physics problem, please. Not me. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> not me. Appa was getting tired by the end of it, for sure. Yeah. True. I feel yeah. like that's always the excuse that they use, which is fair. He's an animal, you know. He's not perpetual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He needs sleep and yeah. rest. And Zuko refuses to need sleep. So that's how he always catches up to them. <laughs> Relentless. Having trouble sleeping because same. <laughs> I was going to say, he needs to learn how to meditate. <laughs> yeah, properly. He should try it sometime. Iroh really stopped should. interrupting him. Just <laughs> joy of joys. I literally wrote down in my notes at the end. Next is water bending scroll. Hashtag gross. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a while that Katara hasn't had her necklace. Yeah, and like that's probably something she's really, really upset about, and they never address it which is interesting mm, yeah because that's literally the cliche is she always talks about her mom and like touches her necklace <laughs> yeah i just think it would have been a nice little moment to have where other stuff might be happening and she goes to touch it instinctively and it's not there yeah mm. yeah it's like make me sad you know why not could have been a nice touch but they did but they did not they did <laughs> cowards I know there were a couple women writers on this, but I was like, oh, is that one of those things where it's like for us, again, not everything has to be gender, but I'm just saying that's one of those things where it's like women tend to wear jewelry more. Mm -hmm. And we would think about that because if you have a special piece of jewelry and you lose it, Mm -hmm. for me, it's like, I still think about, you know, a necklace that I had that I really liked that I lost. And I'm just like, oh, I can't believe I lost that. I really like that necklace kind of thing. And I feel like she wears it 
every day. Yeah. So the feeling of it not being there probably is very strange as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, because it's like it has even a later on it. when they go into disguise, she doesn't take it off initially, and they have to tell her. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And I think with jewelry, I also feel like Katara does instinctively touch it, but I think we all do that. So, like, if I go outside without wearing mm-hmm. my watch, I feel incomplete and stuff like that. So, yeah, things yeah. that we don't think about until it's gone. Damn. Too yeah. Deep. And I've been wearing my glasses so much more than contacts recently that on a day I mm. do wear my contacts, I still go to, like, push them up my nose. Oh, I do that, too. I do that, too. <laughs> Even when they're not there. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. And I'm like, what glasses. am I doing? I'm that person that can't find my glasses and they're on my face. Like, I'm, <laughs> I legit do that. I mean, that is interesting because we've had a couple of plot heavy episodes. I was saying this to my brother and and Miko. Mm -hmm. I was saying that even the filler, I feel like there's no such thing as a true filler episode in this series because there's always something new that they're trying to teach us. That Like last episode was very filler-y, but it was the first time we learned about the spirit world Mm -hmm. and we learned about this whole other Mm -hmm. aspect to the world that we didn't know before. Mm -hmm. And then this episode... Obviously, is not filler. And the next episode is kind of filler, but also not, you know, it, yeah, it's still important stuff for her kind of becoming more of a waterbender and, and whatnot. And obviously, we'll talk about it more when we get there. Yeah. My brother and I were talking about the show because he started watching it so that he would be able to listen to our podcast and understand what we we're talking Aww, about. That's nice. Shout out to Nikki. And um, <laughs> though he still hasn't really listened to the podcast yet, but that's okay. <laughs> Nikki! <laughs> But um, he was saying, he listened to our first two episodes, and he said he thought I was being mean when I said, oh, some episodes you don't really need to rewatch, and they're very, mm-hmm. like, filler. And he's like, I think that was kind of mean of you to say, because every episode has a point. And I was like, I guess. <laughs> I was like, you know, you're right. I'm like, there are episodes, especially in season one, that are more, quote unquote, skippable. Yeah, well, the last episode was one that if it was on, I probably wouldn't drop everything and watch it. Right. You know? I feel like your first watch through, there's not a skippable episode. Yeah, Like in absolutely. a lot of anime, they have filler that is completely irrelevant to everything. Are you implying that the Expectant Beach episode is not mandatory viewing, Stephanie? Because you'd be wrong. <laughs> Listen, let's... every series has an episode where they all go to the beach and you have to watch it. So does this Even one. Even this one. <laughs> <laughs> but my brother literally brought that episode up where he was like, you know... Even episodes that I feel like seem like they're not really necessary, he's like, they're really good. Like the beach episode. He loved the beach episode. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, Bless. But- I mean, to be fair, it's like my favorite episodes of Dragon Ball Z growing up were the episodes where they weren't fighting because yeah, that was the only time you got actual character development mm. of any kind. Mm-hmm. The fighting in Dragon Ball Z takes like a thousand episodes to do <laughs> But that's what I'm saying. It's like useless. The, the fighting, the fighting the isn't color. really used to advance the story in that right. same way, or it's not really used to grow them as characters. Exactly. They're at a level, they push through to the higher level, and they just keep doing that. Mm-hmm. The power crawl in that show is so messed up because of it. Right. So it's like, you're happy just to see them interact with other people mm-hmm. and see them in funny settings and stuff. Yeah. Random side note, the power crawl in this show is excellent. Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm sure we'll talk about that later on when mm-hmm. they've oh, yeah. gone more. I do feel like even though there are filler-ish episodes in this show, all of them do have a point and some sort of impact on the overall yeah. plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
My brother's friend, Eddie, shout out to Eddie, also said that we're mean. (laughs) I also feel like it's going to be interesting to see if we do actually align on an episode where nothing is actually learned. So maybe we can like think about that because we're watching each episode and pulling it apart. That's true. I'm trying to think, Mm. is there anything we've covered up until this point that like, no, actually this episode didn't touch on anything. I can't think of one right now. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I can't. I mean, obviously, like the first two episodes were needed to set up the actual story and everything. Yeah. yeah. And then episode three, we learn a little bit about his past. Episode four, we address Sokka's sexism. Yeah. Yeah. You know, five, it's like you learn about the spirit world. You learn about the quest that he has. You learn about having to talk to Roku. We learn about Roku. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. Something else to keep keep yeah. for. I feel like next season, there'll probably be one or two. Okay. Okay. Again, it's not like if you miss one that you'll be totally lost. Even if they've sprung out spiritual stuff on you later in the series, it's kind of like, is it surprising though? We have seen him in the Avatar state. We do know there are supernatural elements, all things considered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still like followable. It's not like that convoluted or complicated. Yeah, right. I just think it's interesting we're talking about this during this episode because this episode is 100% not filler. <laughs> 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 because... uh. We learn so much. Yeah. I was also like, does this count as Aang firebending for the first time? But I'm like, I, it wasn't him. It but wasn't was it him? I don't know. I don't think so but, because... But it was. <laughs> I guess. But like, Only in the sense that Roku is him. <laughs> yeah. Was Roku physically there? His fire was physically there. But was Roku an astral projection over <laughs> Aang's body? I'm not even being an asshole right now. I'm legitimately like... No, it's true. They happening. did a bunch of things with Roku that I feel like we don't even really see again. Mm-hmm. When he physically appears there instead of Aang, I'm pretty sure this is like the only episode they do that. No. And then, no? no. They do it again? Yeah, with Avatar Kyoshi. Oh, yeah, it. that's right. Kyoshi that I one was time. trying to remember if that happened with Kyoshi at all. Yeah, that's right. I think it does in Avatar that. Day. Is that that episode that she does it? Yeah, yeah. World in Oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the only other time I remembered a spirit showing up was when Katara dresses as that spirit and helps clean up that village mm-hmm. in the middle of that muddy river. And then the spirit comes out and thanks her at the end. But that's not quite the same, obviously. Right. I mean, it's something you don't really see often in the show. Yeah. Like Avatar Roku showing up physically. Mm. Yeah. And being able to be seen by yeah. everybody present. And I feel like it was very well set up and implied that it was like a one-time thing. Because, of course, as soon as the sun left mm-hmm. his statue and left his eye line, it, he disappeared. And, you know, it was like a once in a lifetime or once in a, you know, whatever type of situation to right. have that happen. Yeah. So I guess technically, yes, Aang firebended. But not on his own volition. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> not because he has any. Yes. <laughs> As a firebender, I should say. I'm not trying to knock on Ang here. He had a lot thrown at him today. Yeah. He did. I really felt sad when they were about to. I was like, and then he threw Zuko down the stairs. <laughs> he did throw Zuko down the stairs. He also like used his airbending to completely blast open that flying rock. Yes. The like fiery. Yeah. 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 I thought that was That's really cool. cool. That whole scene was interesting to me because I get why they kept changing 
their elevation. Like he went above the clouds and then down low. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when he went above the clouds, I was like, I feel like this is not a good idea because then you can't see them coming. And immediately yeah. a second later, they started shooting up through the clouds. And I was like, I was yeah. right. <laughs> it was like but, immediately Appa's fur got set on fire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's better to be able to see them all. Yeah. The trajectory. That was one of those moments where I thought that why can't Appa airbend and knock all this stuff out of the way? But then I was like, oh... His, like, airbending requires these big gestures that he can't do when people are on him. You know, where it's like, Boomy can cock an eyebrow and he can earthbend, you know, where it's like, oh, Appa can't do that. Not faulting Appa. He's, like, not as good of a fighter when he's also trying to be the transportation either. Yeah. They did a good job of us. Yeah. There's either fighter mode or there's flying mode. Yeah. Yeah. Like in Digimon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it's like when Sokka fell, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, if like if they didn't get him, I was like, oh, he would die from that fall. Yeah. Like that was kind of scary for a yeah. second. Yeah, a hundred percent. They did a good job of catching Sokka though. Yeah, they they pulled him in and he was crying, and I was like, I don't blame you, man. Yeah, it was scary. Like he like had his hand over his heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also thought it was interesting when they got past the blockade. Aang was like, we did it. And Katara and Sokka in the background, like, we're in the Fire Nation. I mean, obviously shell-shocked from everything that just happened. But I also felt like it was, oh, shit, we're actually in the Fire Nation. Yeah. Maybe up till this point, they were like, we're kind of going camping and we're going to learn waterbending. And now it's like, oh, fuck, like, we're involved in a global war. Okay. (laughs) Yes. I don't know. It is interesting because I'm sure the Avatar is one of those things that they like vaguely knew about as this thing that used to be a thing that like their grandparents talked about. But it's like, how much did they actually know about it? Where now they're caught up in like all of his drama. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, we walked into this willingly, but how much did you actually understand that you were walking into? Shock of the century every time. Yep. Yeah. All right. Cool. So who do we think is the MVP? Nicole. (laughs) Um, my MVP is Appa, you know, they had that montage where they were flying for just forever, and the kids all started, like, collapsing and resting and changing positions because it was taking so long, and Appa had to fly that entire time. He got them there in time for the solstice. (laughs) I also picked Appa, because I was like, he did such a good job, and he worked so hard, and he must have been so exhausted by the time they got there. Yes. And then they didn't even have food for him. Yeah. And then when Katara's like, oh, you must be so tired. And Sokka's like, I'm pretty refreshed. I'm like, of course you're refreshed. You were just sitting there. Check your privilege, Sokka. Sokka, stop. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, also Appa for me. Yep. Um, MVP for me is Avatar Roku. They couldn't have escaped the island without him. And... I know that he's going to be a very big emotional support for Aang because it's nice to have someone who knows what you're going through. And obviously those are the thousands of avatars Mm. before him. And it's nice to see some good adults in the show. So that's the MVP for me. Yeah. My MVP is Shayu because kind of the tangent I went on before. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what that must have been like to watch your country and your government and then your supposedly neutral co-workers kind of all slowly go to like this very dark mentality and then to still kind of try to do the right thing despite like the personal risk and cost and whatnot yeah for sure so like shout out to the good eggs kind of thing i guess yeah and then does anybody have any memorable quotes or moments 
my memorable moment was, of course, the moment with Roku. Mm-hmm. Just like the doors open and it's like the final the boss, boss shows up and down. everyone's just like, oh, <laughs> we done mess up. <laughs> so like, that's mine. That must have been insane to yeah. see. Mine also has to do with Avatar Roku. I don't know why, but when, you know, the sun hit his eyes and then they got transported to that mountaintop and you first see him, I like teared up a little bit. And I was like, I don't know why I just teared up. Logically, I have no idea because it's not even that much of an emotional moment. But um, I think it might have just been like the nostalgia moment. I just really didn't understand why I teared up. But that moment did stand out a lot to me because of that, this episode. Hmm. For me, it makes me think of kind of what Abby said, where it's like, we're used to Roku being this trustworthy adult figure in Aang's life that like when he's around, it kind of means that shit's hit the fan. But it also means here is this adult and this powerful person who's here to help guide you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like we could all use an avatar Roku. Yeah. And that's why everybody should see a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Ding! I mean, he's not without his faults, though. That is for sure. Everybody's problematic. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Ding! (laughs) Uh, My favorite moment, I think just because I love to hate it, was just the predictable dialogue. I think I sometimes love getting upset at it. Um, So just, (laughs) it stuck with me, but I I like to complain about it and to make fun of it. So those are my favorite moments, but not really. I appreciate the brutal honesty. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Nicole. Um, yeah, favorite moment, even though you're right that it's disappointing that it didn't pay off. I liked the Mo moment when he grabbed the fish, you know. <laughs> that was fun. There was another Mo moment later where he got a hat, but I'm like, that was not as funny as the fish. Yeah, that was funny. It was funny, but it wasn't. The fish was really good. <laughs> like, they're all worried for Sokka's life and Momo is catching a fish. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, priorities. <laughs> all right. What was the next? Honor count. Oh, shit. Yes. He didn't say Was it, there even think. anything? No. So you no. just need to acknowledge that there was uh-huh. nothing being. <laughs> all right. Today's honor count remains at two, right? Yes. I think so. Unless we missed one at some point. He hasn't said it. Yeah. I feel like we would notice because he hasn't really had much screen time the last couple episodes. Yeah. One of us would have written it down, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I feel like the last episode, there was heavy B-plot, but it was Iroh-focused. Right. Yeah. Right. That's true. We haven't gotten like a a good dose of Zuko. I feel like right now we're still kind of like, if I've never seen this before, I'm just like, this guy's an asshole and not like, oh, there might be more to him. Whereas with Iroh, I'm just like, oh, like he's not a bad person. And like, you can already tell that. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were heavy this episode on the whole Zuko has this naive trust of his father. He's like, my father will understand why I'm returning home. And Iroh's just like, the Fire Lord is an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. I feel like Zuko is the number one person to know that his dad is not an understanding yeah. person. And then they did a lot of pitting Zhao against both the gang and Zuko at the same time, making it very yeah. clear that, like, yeah. they have a common enemy sort of deal. Yep, we will certainly see that. They're both worried about the blockade. Zhao is trying to kill both of them. Zhao's little crewman is like, but we can't just fire at the Avatar. There's a Fire Nation ship over there. You know, collateral damage? Zhao was just like, good. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> no, for real. I liked, I did like how that guy blanched when Xiao said that, though. <laughs> he did look a little shocked. <laughs> he was shocked and appalled by the yes. military commander. Aren't we all? <laughs> all right. This has been Pod Sing Se, an Avatar The Last Airbender podcast. Join us next week where we will discuss the next episode, The Waterbending Scroll. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a rating if you want. You can also check out podsingsay.com for the latest updates. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye!